we've been doing a night series on 15 Protestant truths about the death of God the Son. This is part 12. And what we're doing is looking at uh, accomplishments of Christ's death on the cross besides the forgiveness of sins. And we've looked at about nine different accomplishments of the cross of Christ. And there'll be about uh, three or four more in our Sunday night series. Tonight, the topic is Jesus Christ died on the cross to call us to follow his example of humility and selflessness. The text is 1 Peter 2, 18 to 24. And, and frequently, almost every Sunday morning, I have the text up and do some underlining and marking in the text. I don't do that at night just because of time constraints. But if I did... Let me, as I read this text, I'm going to take a little while as I read verses 18 to 24 of 1 Peter 2, and I'll just tell you how I would mark it. So you can just mentally, you can kind of imagine the kind of themes that we'll pull out of this text. Good with that? All right. 1 Peter 2, 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect... Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing. When? Mindful of God. And I would circle that. So, receiving unjust treatment can be a gracious thing if, during the process of receiving unjust treatment... A person isn't just thinking about the treatment he or she is receiving, but somehow traces what's happening, however unpleasant, traces it back to God and his or her relationship with God. Mindful of God. It's a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... That's the third time he's used that phrase, endure. Enduring it means not just bearing up under it. Enduring it means going through it without any kind of retaliation. That's that's what he means when he talks about enduring. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now remember, right at the beginning of verse 19, he said the very same thing, for this is a gracious thing. Now he repeats it at the last part of verse 20. This is a gracious thing. Gracious doesn't just mean polite. Gracious means... Filled with God's grace. God's grace gets a chance to operate and do something. Gracious in that sense. Not just a gracious person who's polite. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So you're mindful of God, he said in verse 19. And now it's gracious in the sight of God. 21, this is surprising. For to this, the this is enduring without retaliation. For to this you have been called. 
the called is by God. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Okay, all of those things that Christ did so well, they go back to the end of verse 19 where we are called to suffering unjustly. And if anyone ever suffered unjustly, this is what he's trying to show. That's Jesus. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't strike back. He didn't revile. He committed no sin. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what Jesus did. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And I would circle that whole phrase and I would draw a line up to the uh, first part of verse 19 where our calling is to be mindful of God. And now Peter wants to show us that that's what Jesus did. He was thinking about Father God. Continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might, we might die to sin. Dying to sin has to do with, like, Jesus didn't revile back. He didn't threaten. He didn't sin in any of those ways. And so we're to look at that. Jesus died on the cross so that we won't commit those kinds of sins when we are treated unjustly that we might die to sin, live to righteousness. And then these words, by his wounds you have been healed. And typically we take those words and apply them to divine healing and its application in the atonement. I think there are, there are statements to that effect, very similar words to this, in other parts of the New Testament. I'm not sure, I'm not dogmatic, I'm just saying I'm not sure that the kind of healing being talked about, when you take it in context, is, is so you suffer mistreatment, ill will, and instead of responding with like treatment, with anger, vengeance, slander, revenge, you've been, you, because of the way he suffered by his stripes, you've, you've been healed. There's something he wants to work in your heart and in your life when you suffer in that way, in that like fashion. There's the text. Let's just pray. Help us, Lord, in these next minutes. Just as we've been unpacking week after week after week the richness of like a surveyor surveying the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, there is so much there. And so help us again tonight. Your word is too big for any of us unaided by your spirit. And so just come and help us as we study and consider these things together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It should be striking to us that Peter very specifically gives reference to this whole issue of slavery when talking about our redemption, the wonders of the atonement, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
I mean, the cross of Christ is a very good thing and a very godly thing. Slavery is a very bad thing and a very ungodly thing, all slavery. Why would Peter put why would Peter put two things together that you know one of these things is not like the other? These two things just don't fit at all. They don't fit in any way, shape, or form. And it takes a little while, but we see that there's a, a method to, to Peter's madness. He's going to tell us something we all remember about the passion of Christ, his death. And he's going to tell us something we don't always remember about the passion of Christ. The part we all remember and rejoice in is found in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's very good news. That's wonderful news. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. The part very few of us maybe think about as often as we should is in verse 21. For to this you have been called. Who? Well, people who claim redemption through Christ's death on the cross. To this this you have been called, 21, because Christ also suffered. He also suffered for you. Now, not in the sense of redemption, but leaving you an example, not pardon, but pattern. Christ also, in addition to your pardon, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so, we, we see something important right away. There is a part of the passion of Christ that is once and for all uh, a finished story, accomplished fact, Jesus bore my sins in his body on the cross. That's unique. Nobody else died for me like that. It's unrepeatable. Nobody else can ever or will ever accomplish this in his or her death. Martyrs may abound, but only one unique person, God the Son, bore our sins. But there's also a part of the passion of Christ that is to be constantly repeated. It's to be constantly repeated in the lives of Christians all over the world. Because Jesus' death not only purchased my pardon, it also laid down a pattern. 21, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Leaving you an example. Hupogramos is the Greek word. Just think of the English word we might get from the last part of that phrase, gramos. What do you think of? Grammar. Grammar. The Greek word literally means an underwriting or to write under. You've seen this. It's, It's a term used to describe the process of teaching small children to Maybe you've got some kind of a little plastic outline of letters of the alphabet and they put the pen or the pencil in it and they trace it around the edge and they can make a perfect A or a perfect B. To write under, to trace a perfect form so that they could learn to form the letters 
perfectly on their own. And then, to, to make it a bit stronger, Peter adds a phrase that is only used in our text. It's repeated nowhere else in the New Testament. After saying, Jesus died on the cross as our example, think of that tracing, the letter, he quickly adds that we are to, verse 21, follow in his steps. So when you put those two thoughts together, they, they force our minds down a certain track, a certain direction. There's one kind of example, and then there's a different kind of example. One kind of example is a certain form of teaching or a principle that you, you think about once in a while and you try your best to live up to it. That's not the kind of example Peter says Jesus died to leave us. There's another kind of example that isn't just a mental concept or an idea. It's, it's more like placing your feet in another person's footprints. Remember that, there used to be that poster, you've seen it, it's this beautiful sunset on this sandy beach, and it's got this, uh, it's about Jesus, and it's, uh, you only see one set of footprints, because he carries us through our trials and our difficulties. It's okay, I like, I like one I saw online, it's actually even better, where it's, it's got this set of footprints, and it's even called footprints, and then you see these two lines... And it says, and this is the part where I had to drag you for a while. The kind of example of placing your feet in another's footprints. Or, like I said earlier, tracing a plastic pattern as you form letters on paper. So, in other words, the example of Christ's death calls us to a more deliberate, moment-by-moment following with with every single one of our actions. It's not an abstract example. This is an example to be walked in and followed um, continuously, not occasionally, consciously, not randomly. It's, it's, to be, it's to be the dominant influence and effort of our lives. So keep thinking about to trace with a pen or a pencil inside of a pattern. You could teach kids to write in another way, you could just stand up at the blackboard, put the letters on the blackboard in front of the class, and say, do that. But, but will they copy them properly? You don't know. Just because you wrote them correctly doesn't mean they will write them correctly. Because there's a certain distance in that kind of copying. So, so Peter chooses a word that describes this method of following a pattern. It's a picture of hands-on, like, like you putting your hand on the child's hand and forming the letter so that he can't form it incorrectly. So Peter says, Don, don't let this be theoretical. Don't let this be a Sunday night Bible study. This has to be moment by moment how you respond to mistreatment. Why? Because of the cross. Because you can't just take my pardon. You also have to take my pattern. And he knows I'm much more excited about taking his pardon. 
Don't just learn this, Don. Do it. Do it all the time. So that's the framework of this passage. That, that's the heartbeat. I just want to quickly look at, at some specific points to bring it down to where we live. Uh, point number one. And if you're visiting, our people are used to having me ramble on for about a half hour and then saying point number one. So don't, don't, uh, don't be shocked. To follow Jesus at all is to follow him in the path of unjust treatment. So, so this is the specific reason Peter makes use of the example of slavery. It's a horrific example. And even, even in slavery, some slaves would perhaps be fortunate enough to have a kind and reasonable master. But those aren't the ones Peter's using for his instruction. He specifically mentions masters who are unreasonable. That's the word. Those who are cruel beyond any reason. The work was good. All the rules were being kept. The servant was profitable in every sense of the word. But his master is treating him in a way that takes none of that into account. The master is being unreasonable. And Peter means for you and for me to look at our lives and say, so has, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had someone walk all over your kindness? Have you ever had someone, maybe someone even in the church, who treated you like your rights mattered? Not at all. Have you ever had someone who uh, muttered something about you to other people that that wasn't quite true, and maybe it was even far from the truth and was damaging to your reputation? Have you ever felt you were made the brunt of unjust treatment? Okay, that, that's what Peter's talking about. Unreasonable treatment. After all, I mean, it's one thing to be a slave. That is unjust in itself. But then on top of that, to be treated with unusual cruelty, that's... That's something else again. And, and it's at this point that Peter brings up, surprisingly, the whole subject of the death of Jesus on the cross. What, what did he do when he faced unjust treatment? How did Jesus respond? And Peter says, we have to care deeply about this. We have to care deeply because I can't just claim Jesus' death for my forgiveness... I also have to use it as my pattern, my example. You, you can't just take the one, you have to take them both. Make no mistake and let it be said clearly, Jesus' example doesn't pardon anybody. No one will be saved by just trying to be as loving as Jesus was. That's not going to work. But the inverse is what's frequently missed. No one can cruelly, truly claim Christ's pardon without taking on the calling of his pattern. To this you have been called, 21. And so Peter takes the time to walk us through our Lord's response to unjust treatment. He does it in 22, 23, and 24. He committed no sin... 
Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Oh, oh you, you didn't do that. What did he do? Well, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And Peter says we're to be, in the earlier verses, mindful of God, he says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, live to righteousness, by his wounds you have been healed. So 24 shows the final destination of the cross. Jesus did what he came to do. Our redemption. 22 and 23 show the path toward that goal. This is where Jesus' example comes into play. The, the key is he didn't return the treatment that he was given. He did not revile in, in return. In return, 23. It's not, he didn't reciprocate. He didn't give back what was being given to him. He, he responded in the opposite spirit of what was being dished out. And Peter says there, Don, that's, that's the path Christ calls you to walk all the time. All the time. That's the path he calls you to walk. He, he doesn't just advise us to try this lifestyle on. He doesn't just teach us about it. He says Jesus experienced it. He experienced it. No one, I think we can agree, no one on planet Earth, I think there are people who suffered physically as much as Jesus did. Physically. I hope you don't think that's sacrilegious. The writer of Hebrews talks about people who are sawn asunder. You know, which, which hurts more? I don't know. But I think we can all agree that no one on Earth ever suffered more unjustly than our Lord. That's because no one was ever as pure and as holy and as unsinful as God the Son on this earth. Now, we aren't even like that. Truth be told, we're actually lucky we don't always get the treatment we deserve in this life. My dad, old school, when we were growing up, four boys, I guess we may have the odd time caused grief, but, but uh, he used to say half jokingly, but I'm sure half not. And don't be mad, it was a different day. My dad used to say, spank your kids every day. If you don't know why you're spanking them, they know why you're spanking them. <laughs> we're, we're just lucky we don't get what we deserve. But no one ever suffered more undeserved unjust treatment than Jesus. And Peter goes over these details to remind me that Jesus isn't calling me to something he knows nothing about. He, he walked this path long before we. To a degree none of us will ever even begin to understand. And so the next time you are mistreated and you get alone before God and you feel him speaking to your heart and your Lord is talking to you saying, I don't care. You just you love that person. And don't you dare respond the way you have been treated. 
Don't think for a second, Jesus, you, you just have no idea, but you know what they did to Jesus knows about mistreatment. That's the wonderful thing about having a sympathetic high priest. He knows to a degree you will never know. He has experienced to a degree that you will never experience unjust treatment. And this, Peter says, is how he replied. That's your calling. Follow in his steps. Put your feet into his bloody footprints. Okay, point number two. We're closer to done than than you think. I don't know how close you think we are, but we're closer than you think. The response of Jesus to unjust treatment is an example, true, but it's more than an example. Our text says it's a call. I can't tell you the number of times people have come to my office and they've said, I just need to know, what, what's, Pastor Don, what's God's will for my life? What's the, what's the call of God on my life? And one of the things I do is go to this text. What credit is it, 20 and 21, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Everyone say this next sentence with me. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you might follow in his steps. You've been called. We had better just admit right now that most of us don't think of ourselves in that way. We think about unjust treatment as something that happens to us. We live in a fallen world. We live with sinful people, even in the body of Christ. You've heard me say it from the pulpit. God has ordained it that you get just enough abuse in any church so that you have to learn to live like Jesus. It's, in, it's on purpose. We tend to think of the unjust treatment we receive as just either the devil or something that just happens because of the kind of world we live in. And if we're really spiritual, we will make do as best we can while other people beat up on us. You know, we can always close our eyes and sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, at least he loves us. Peter says, no, there's a lot more to it than that, Don. Unjust treatment isn't something that unfortunately just happens. Peter says it's it's part of your calling. Think about that for a minute. It's, It's part of what makes you a Christian. It's part of God's assignment. It's it's his call on your life. His call on your life is that you suffer unjustly. Now you got to figure out why. We need to look at that. There's no doubt whatsoever, by the way, that Peter means it's the call of God. It's clear in the text. It's as important a part of the death of Christ as is the forgiveness of my sins. It's a key part of the reason Jesus went through all he went through instead of just 
dying on the cross. Why all the mistreatment leading up to it? Was it out of control? Could God not have done it differently? There's a reason for all that mistreatment. Peter says it's so, Don, it's so you'll see your calling in life. That's why the whips. That's why the mocking. That's why they spat on him. That's why they slandered him. That's why they made trumped up charges against him. Do you think that all just happened? That part of it was so we would be able to read those events and say, oh, that's our calling. It's striking. We will always be angered, surprised, discouraged, or embittered by unjust treatment we receive from others until we see with fresh eyes that unjust treatment is a part of the calling of God through the death of his son on the cross. Why? Why this calling? To what end? For what purpose? What, what kind of sadistic God would make this his call on my life as a follower of his son, Jesus Christ? What possible reason could there be for such a calling on good people like us? We're not looking for trouble. Right at this point, right at this point, we enter into, let's call it the main artery of the heart of Father God. We follow the pattern of Jesus so that other people will know the pardon of Jesus. They will not know it, some people, apart from my following the pattern of Jesus to unjust treatment. And here's where I get that. 1 Peter 3, he's still talking about this. It's a big theme with Peter. He's still talking about this in chapter 3. Look at verses 8 and 9, and then we'll do 13, 14, and 15. Peter writes, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. By the way, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I should have said that at the beginning. A tender heart and a humble mind. Okay? Do not repay evil for evil. So there's the theme, right? Here, he doesn't specifically talk about the death of Christ. He's just coming into some specific instruction. But we know from his earlier words that those instructions about not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, they don't just hang in thin air. They are based on the pattern of Jesus on the cross, right? So just remember that. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Now here, same idea. For to this you were called... And what we're investigating now is why. Why this calling? He talks about it twice. What is so important here? For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Okay. I'm interested in blessing. 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. Okay, now he's talking about the kind of treatment that you get that you don't deserve. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. Remember in our, in our text for the night, he talked about, about keeping the mind on God. 
minding, being mindful of God in the midst of their unjust suffering. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Here's what I want to say. Even if they don't see it, people who persecute you, people who mistreat you, who wrong you, those people need Jesus desperately and probably don't realize it. All right? What else would make them treat you so unjustly but bondage to sin, pride, spiritual darkness? Who could possibly need Jesus more than your worst enemy? That's the idea here. But there's a problem. Because the people most bound in sins, especially if they sin against me, those are the ones I least want to receive. See, receiving the grace and power and favor of Jesus. I want God's grace for my sins. I want justice for their sins. Enter the death of Christ. It has to evoke, Peter says, more than just my thankfulness. It should evoke that, but more. Peter says the passion of Christ must be my pattern for the sake of my enemy's pardon. He says it'll, he says it'll, it'll work like this. In most of the world, when uh, we see people who are wronged, other people respond in kind. And so, and so you, you get that brawl mentality, even if no punches are thrown, it, it heats up. Bad actions tend to incite bad responses, and it escalates. It escalates between individuals, it escalates in communities, it escalates in wars. Peter says, if you've received pardon in Christ, you've also received a calling. And the reason for the calling is, the person who badly mistreats me needs the gospel. But if I respond in kind, if I treat him the way he's treating me, then my words about grace and love and forgiveness and mercy will have a rather hollow ring to them. But if someone clearly mistreats me and sees the kind of response that Jesus showed when he was mistreated... Peter says, there's a good chance they're actually going to, it's right in the text, they're going to ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I read those verses for years thinking, well, sure, Peter, like any nitwit can share Jesus with someone if they come up and say, could you please just tell me about the four spiritual laws? But I've never had that happen, and you probably haven't either. What would make somebody come up and ask for the reason for the hope that is in us? Peter says, bingo. The best chance of that happening is when 
they wrong you and they get the grace of Jesus back. And then they're likely to say, what? What, what makes you tick? And instead of just saying, I just happen to be a very genteel, sophisticated, gracious person, you can say, what makes me tick is, I wronged my Lord in so many ways, and he died on the cross and gave me free grace and pardon and forgiveness, and how can I not respond with the same kind of mercy and grace when you mistreat me after all that my Lord has done for me? And there's a door you can drive a truck through. There's the example. It's as important as the pardon. There's the calling that's on all of our lives. You can't escape it. And there's the reason for the calling. Because the people who wrong you the most are the people who need his pardon the most. And God wants to use you to do it. That's the gist of the text. We all got it? Let's pray together.